0: Seeking the Extraordinary is sponsored by The Colony Group, a national wealth and business management company that seeks the extraordinary by pursuing an unrelenting mission of providing clients with peace of mind and empowering their visions of tomorrow. To learn more about how The Colony Group manages beyond money, visit thecolonygroup.com.
1: Welcome, fellow seekers of The Extraordinary. Welcome to our shared quest, a quest not for a thing, but for an idea, a quest not for a place, but into deep, inner, unexplored regions of ourselves, a quest to understand how we can achieve our fullest potential by learning from others who have done or are doing exactly that. Extraordinary stories of overcoming anguish. Every single
2: one of them had lost somebody from their family. I will never give up on trying to lessen that conflict.
1: People who have stood up to challenges with true courage. Do something in life that that you have a passion for, something that you enjoy and you find fulfilling. That's where you have your greatest success. Stories that will enlighten and inspire. What I said to him is absolutely a cliche, but the journey is more important than the end result. May we always have the courage and wisdom to learn from those who have something to teach. Join me now in Seeking the Extraordinary. I'm Michael Nathanson, your Chief Seeker of the Extraordinary.
2: today's episode, our Chief Seeker of the Extraordinary, Michael Nathanson, has graciously turned over his mic. I'm Christina Saunders. I'm a Senior Portfolio Manager at The Colony Group and pleased to be here as we celebrate Women's History Month and take the opportunity to feature one of the extraordinary women at Colony, of which there are many. This podcast is sponsored by Her Wealth by Colony. Her Wealth is committed to empowering women with the tools and resources they need to make informed financial decisions and take control of their wealth. Our guest today is an Associate Wealth Advisor at The Colony Group. Her journey to colony is unique and reflects that skill sets can translate across industries, even distinctly different ones. Please welcome the extraordinary Nicole Steinreddell. Welcome, Nicole. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast. Hi, Christina. It's very good to be here. It's good to see and hear you, and I'm very excited to talk about your story because it is a really compelling one and one that I think our listeners will will particularly enjoy. So your journey to TCG was a unique one. Can you share with us what you did before joining our firm?
0: So before joining Colony Group, I was an actress um, for 20 years. Yeah, I know. It's a a very, very different career. Not part of what you said in your generous introduction.
2: What was it that drew you to acting? Can you tell
0: us a little bit about that path and, and where it took you? Sure. So it's so fun and interesting to think about what draws one to something. And I mean, as a young teenager wanting to learn theater, it was potentially the most general thing but wanting to be seen and heard and tell stories and shine and all the things that we have and we're insecure and like need for attention and validation but also something i learned when i was young was watching movies there were examples of things that maybe i didn't see growing up in in the world i grew up in i had people going through emotional experiences and i could identify with them and say oh i'm not alone so in a big way part of what drew me to acting was I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to. Uh, I knew I was um, courageous enough to stand up and tell stories, and hopefully help people realize that they're not alone, no matter their circumstances. And that's what's driven me and drove me to continue to pursue acting for a very long time.
2: Yeah. So you were in the field for 20 years. I mean, that's a long time to survive in Hollywood. <laughs> what qualities do you have? Do you think? How were you able to sustain a career for that long?
0: Well, it's a really good way to put it. And I was so excited when I learned like that it'd been 20 years, the nice round number. And I can't believe I'd been out of college for that long and that, that I survived in Hollywood for that long. And I would say some years we're surviving and some years we're thriving and some years we're surviving. And the question was, what are the qualities? I won't. Well, it's, it's what I said that I believe there's something bigger than myself that's worth saying. And I think that when we do the work and dig deeply into what we're up against and our desire to grow, that we usually share something authentic and vulnerable, and then other people are inspired to do the same. So if it was only for myself, and believe me, I had moments of doubt and really hard times. um, I don't think I could have lasted, so to speak, as long as I did.
2: Right. But that tenacity to stick with it in what is known to be a very difficult industry. I mean, can you identify something about yourself beyond your desire to share stories with people that kept you going in, in, in that business?
0: Okay, yeah, the tenacity thing is great. I really feel grateful. that you wouldn't even reflect that. Um, my nickname growing up was Moxie. Uh, I am very tenacious. I am very, and, and was when I was younger, much more um, aggressively outspoken. And I needed a healthy place to express that. And I, I enjoy speaking the truth to power, asking questions. I am, I am very competitive that way. And I am very driven to make sure justice is served. I like to speak truth to power. I like to, I already said that, but I, I get very uh, fired up about that. So I think partly that's what drew me. I was able to keep my focus on something that I find to be very valuable, which is inclusion and showing people that by example, we can be strong and courageous.
2: And so speaking truth to power it has its risks. <laughs> And and when we're young, we're we're much more likely to um, speak our truth loudly. And as we get older, we learn how to kind of bring that in a little bit. Yes. So so tell me a little bit about that, like over that twenty year period. How did you navigate that and some of the pitfalls perhaps of being vocal about what you believe in and what's important to you?
0: Okay. You're zoning in on like my whole what I call my growing edge. Which is okay. I was in that teenager self for a long time. I was so grateful for the success I experienced and to be a working actress in Hollywood is such a gift and not a lot of people achieve it. And I was still kind of mm-hmm. feisty over and above Moxie and athletes, things that we tout as values mm-hmm. and, and good qualities. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I didn't realize how charged some of my local things were because mm-hmm. I had not become sort of self regulated in, in my own body and in my own power. I was still fighting against sort of feeling unheard and seen, like I said before. Yeah. So I actually ended up writing a one woman show um, in 2018 and performing it then and in 2019 about my life and about my life story. And it started about my childhood as we all do this cathartic exercise, maybe not in the one woman show, but we all do it. Right. We go. Right. Back right. And look in and some fashion. Right, right. 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 And then I started to realize it was about the way that we all had internalized the experiences we had and then we're being in reaction to them instead of. All right. I'm going to own my story so that it doesn't define me. And then I can use that power for good. So when I wrote that show and I did, it, I was like, oh, underneath all of my sort of what I thought were, what's a good word, selfless reasons to be in this, not selfless, but more altruistic reasons to do what I do, was a total raging teenager <laughs> who had like kind of settled her own ego. And that is right. a constant, we all, I'm not saying I'm done with that work at all. All right. But what I recognize is that the speaking trick to power thing can happen so much more effectively if you're in your own power and if you don't feel threatened by or worried that even in this situation, an interview like this, if I'm not like trying to get some message out so that everybody hears who I truly am, what I really want to say, Mm -hmm. like if it's just you and I having a conversation and me trusting that like I'm enough right here as I am. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? I
2: understand. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I can relate a little bit to the the young person that had so much to say. For me, my story is different and we won't get into it, but, oh, but uh, I want to, and you, you know, want to go. just the notion of the notion of speaking truth to power. And I grew up in a very patriarchal family and just as a woman that just. Inspired me, like I'm going to show them, I'm going to tell them, and speak what whatever my my truth to power was. But yeah, uh, it's an important process to go through, and then it's also so important to to learn how to moderate our message to actually get what we want.
0: So right. or just be heard by those who need right. to hear it, instead of right. it being so like, whoa, she's right. got a lot of um fire, but right. what's the substance of what she's really trying to share? Right, right. and I want to be an example. I'm the oldest of five children. I want to be an example to my younger siblings of how real truth is spoken and how real examples of grounded femininity exist right. In, right. in as an artist or in the wealth advising field. So the one, one woman show that I did, the, the name of it was Temple Tantrum. Temple Tantrum,
2: briefly, please. What does Temple Tantrum mean?
0: <laughs> well, I thought it was a really cool um, use of alliteration for woman. And also the show, like I said, initially was about childhood. And for me, that was quite religious. So it became, it wasn't actually a temple in my childhood, but there was that double meaning of temple. But what it really became about, and I mentioned this earlier, was about sort of the the war inside my own head, the tantrum inside my own temple. Mm-hmm. So I was using temple mm-hmm. tantrum and the way that I had sort of internalized things that happened and started to use that reactivity in my mm-hmm. career yes. and how I was coming up against the same Struggles as I had in childhood. And the show became about how to unwind that so that I could be comfortable in my temple, which is my body, where I know I'm always saved and loved and supported. And that journey home to myself, if you'll forgive the mindfulness of that, <laughs> Love is, was my journey. And it was so, it was the most freeing, most empowering thing I've ever done. It was the hardest acting thing I've ever done. And it made me recognize that I. I didn't need Hollywood in the same way anymore. I still loved acting, but I didn't need that validation in the same way that I used to. Hmm. Hmm. That makes and, sense. And
2: and so your meditative practice, as as you're describing it, how does that relate to perhaps the religion or faith that you grew up with? I mean, is there a connection there, or is there?
0: No, not, not at all. Actually, well, maybe, maybe. There, I think prayer in any religion is it's meditative, and people mm-hmm. find meditation in any form. But my my meditation that I learned growing, like in my development as an adult, was about um, calming my nervous system. And again, yeah. like coming back to that thing we were talking about earlier around being in our own selves and being aware makes us not as charged when we do truth to power. Um, right, speak up for ourselves, hold our boundaries, these positive, healthy things that we know that are much more commonly spoken about in, in modern leadership. But in me, young me, I was so disassociated from my body, I had to learn to come back. Right. right. But right. I really the, I mean, all religions have this sort of window. It's taken right. toward toward the self. So yeah, that's that.
2: Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, let's let's get back to I'm talking about how you picked the financial service industry, you were explaining that your family, you took the lead with your uncle on looking for an advisor for your family.
0: Yeah, that's right. So in doing that work, interviewing RIAs, because I knew I wanted an RIA, they have a seduciary standard, which means they're required to do what's best with the client. That's what we do at Colony Group. There are other suitability standard firms, and those firms are only required to do something suitable for the client, which in- I had no idea until I looked into it that that was even possible. So right. I knew I wanted yes. an RIA for my family. And in interviewing the different firms, people kept asking me, like, why don't you do this work? You should do this work. And I'm like, no, it was Billy, I'm an actress. What are you talking about? And, they were right. like, and, 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 I, and I was serious. I was like, stop, stop, stop. And so I went through that process. We got up and rolling. I learned so much about just onboarding of a client as the client, right? And then basically pandemic hit. Right, pandemic hit about a year after that, and my industry shut down. Acting, as did so many things. Right, everybody came to a halt, and I also went through a massive breakup. I know I'm the only person who had a breakup during COVID. I'm the <laughs> only one. Okay, not the only one. No one went through I any kind of yeah. <laughs> these 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 seismic things happened during pandemic, and they were all a blessing. Things were kind of brought to the surface, in so many people's lives that I'm close to. And my relationship was one of them. My relationship acting with acting was another. And like I mm-hmm. said, this was on the heels of my one woman show right. where I kind of had changed my relationship with Hollywood and with myself. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, whoa. So I had a lot of grieving to do. And I also had a lot of time on my hands. And the wealth advisor in charge of my client account was like, you should study but see Because hey, you're always asking me questions. You're always on my shoulder. Yeah. And he encouraged me. He was like, why don't you look into this? That way you'll know what I'm talking about. And I was like, okay, okay fine. And so I did it. And I did all the coursework to studying by CFP. It's like seven graduate school courses. I did it online. It was during pandemic, of course. And then I did all the work and thought, well, I might as well take the exam, the CFP exam. And I really didn't know if I was going to pass. It was a, sort of a brand new language. For me. It's, well, it's also not an easy exam. Yeah, it's not. And I was humbled by the fact that, like I said, it, I've been, I was in college 20 years ago. So I was like, do I know how to study for an exam? I really wasn't sure how I was going to do on the CFP. I I studied hard, but I hadn't studied in 20 years. Think about that for an exam. It's a different animal. Yeah. Exam prep alone uh, was a thing, but it was really fun. And I have to say it built on this thing I'm building in myself that I want to have a sort of a clear, I want to express this to you because it's a big thing I'm working on, but it's, I learned how to trust myself more deeply during that process. Mm -hmm. It was me and the exam and that's That's all it was. And I was literally learning a new language, the language of finance. And it was like, it's kind of uh, an undergraduate course, right? And it basically taught me that I don't know, that I know now what I don't know, right? It kind of gives you, it kind of gives you a baseline of the language, the vocabulary. And now I know where to look. So exactly. I passed. Congratulations. That's huge. Thank you. And that was March of last year. And as a result of that, I became, I applied for jobs in this field. And was given multiple offers and was able to leverage some of them for other ones so that I could afford a big move from Los Angeles to New York because I knew I wanted to be in a different seat to start this journey simply because it was a seismic change. And I've always wanted to live in New York and this gave me the opportunity to do so. And I will say, like, so what caused this transition? Well, my family situation for sure. And then my personal changes and my personal needs caused the transition, which I would be remiss if I didn't mention like I it's important to me because I hadn't had it in my 20 years in Hollywood to have stability and security Mm -hmm. and I maybe never let myself recognize it's okay to want that to have my own financial security and my own financial safety so that I can kind of afford my life in a way that doesn't feel so volatile yeah and being an actress for 20 years you learn that that top 90 to 100 percent of your capacity Mm -hmm. is where you live you live in the The creation of drama, chaos zone. Right. And I'm very good at it. But the truth of life is that like, for me anyway now, for my truth, sorry, is that I'd like to be a bit more stable and kind Mm -hmm. of grow from this place, this middle ground, kind of like Mm -hmm. on the treadmill when you have like the cardio and the fat burning zone and the like test your heart rate. I was up in this crazy heart rate zone for so long. Yeah. I was learning that I wanted to be a little more, yeah, stable because I think there's growth there that I needed. Yeah. And it was around this financial piece out of knowing and trusting my own instincts and being comfortable talking about things that's very like money, like yeah. future planning, like how to have difficult conversations with legacy planning in the family. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in my in my only experience I've had because I've only been here since July. Right. I found that all people. And it just confirmed what I suspected. All people had emotional triggers around money. Oh, absolutely. Right. right. No matter their wealth, wealth level. Right. Um, right. Right. I jokingly say that show billions, yeah, and then there's another of Succession, and I feel like those shows are both so compelling to so many. And I thought about writing a show of my own family called Hundreds, because <laughs> it's really, it's really not about the amount of yeah. zeros. It's about it. It really shows. is not. it is it, and
2: Nicole, I had a client that had an enormous amount of money, multiple millions, multiple tens of millions, and one of, I'll say there, so I'm not identifying that person. Yeah. one of their greatest fears was being homeless when they were old. And it was so shocking to hear that. But what you said is so true. There is so much emotion tied around people's money for various reasons that have nothing to do with money, really, really. So it's interesting. But I mean, so it sounds like your journey from from acting to the financial service industry, it was partially like a spiritual journey to finding your new path going forward. So I'd love you to speak about that a little bit, but also what about your acting life, those 20 years that you were in this high drama, high impact industry? What, what about that brings, informs the work that you're doing now? Okay, well,
0: you gave me a great example just now in that, that client that I don't know who had this uh, irrational fear of being homeless when they were older, even though they had tens of millions of dollars. My experience working on characters with different family backgrounds, different sort of access to their own vulnerability, insecurities has shown me that like on a call with that client, I can sometimes, if not get to the root of where that comes from, I can hold space for them if they're fearful. So mm-hmm. maybe the only skill I have in the world is the ability to be emotionally safe for people. Mm-hmm. And because I want to be that way for myself. And I do think this work is, it's not about, it's about finance, absolutely. But it's about where our humanity needs money. And that's often where the drama right. comes in. Right. And so I really appreciate that my, my continuing education, but my experience mm-hmm. in acting is showing that we all have our stuff. And sometimes those fears, like in that, client case might be about an inherited fear from an older generation. And I just, I love the fact that I know how to have a conversation. So hopefully people can process their emotional reactivity right. and right. then make an unemotional decision about what they're going to do with their portfolio.
2: Right. Right. So to be a wealth advisor, you have to know a lot. I mean, there is just no doubt about it. You have to have a lot of different skills so, what has been the most challenging thing for you? So, now you're in it like six or seven months now. What has been the most challenging thing for you? And what do you still want to learn? Obviously, the empathy part of it is critical, but mm. given that you have to know
0: so much, how have you handled that? That's a really beautiful question. I'm so glad you asked because, again, and I said this in my interview, I'm like, obviously, the soft skills are going to be my superpower. The place I mean, growing is in the hard skills. And what I mean by that is in investment not only investment knowledge but sort of the breadth of investments out there and just familiarization with all of those things in and even above the vocabulary of finance it's just sort of there's so much out there and so many different strategies and so many different client situations that i want to know about right the biggest the biggest area my biggest weaknesses are uh, taxes tax planning and i believe that category is one that yeah. actually Umbrellas over all categories of financial planning. It's an important part of it. Yes, it is. And I, I think that the tax code is sort of like a patchwork quilt. Like they keep making changes to cover up. It's like somebody who gets too much plastic surgery. They'll be like, "Oh, this isn't right. That's not best. Oh, this is right. That's the best." And I think that's glorious. But I think it's purposefully confounding. And I'm grateful that we have such an amazing tax team here at Colony Group. So I can go to them with my questions that I'm. An associate, mm-hmm. right? So nobody's I'm not making decisions for anybody or giving advice solely to anybody at this point. I am mm-hmm. just here to learn. Mm-hmm. And I'm lucky in that that's why I took a job at an RA as a relationship manager or another company, because I wanted to learn those foundational skills. Right. And primarily for me, that's in the world of tax. And in some of the, the nuance nuances of some of high finance. And so making sure I understand thoroughly what I'm getting people into long term. Right. Right. Yeah, it, there is a lot to know
2: and it is a journey and it, it continues to be, at least for me. I mean, there I learn something new every day because there's always new information coming in. Tax laws change, estate planning levels change, investment, new investment products come out. Clients ask you about this or that. So there's it's what's wonderful about the job for me. I love that. I love the intellectual um stimulation of that coupled with the relationship side with the client, yes. which, is, yes. which is huge. It's a, it's a very cool job. So I think you have landed in the right place, Nicole. So tell me, and what would you tell somebody that was thinking about making a similar transition that you made from one very different industry to another? What, what advice would you give them?
0: I love that me. question. I think it, this could be an, an overgeneralization, me. but women in general, in my life, seem to be so comprehensively aware that sometimes they don't leap until they're short. They don't leap until they know they're going to be better than XYZ. I would say uh, leap before you're ready. Try it. Yeah. and be. And I'm grateful to be 41 years old and know it's okay to fail. And that failure, whatever even that it means, is like yeah. I took a huge risk, tried something very different, just even rhythmically and lifestyle-wise than what I was doing. And uh, it continues to pay off. In massive dividends. Use so of yeah. finance analogy, but I would say, so meet before you're ready. I mean, it's always important to be educated about what you're headed into, but don't be afraid to stand up before you think it's a hundred percent sure. And well, also, I think that's
2: great advice. I mean, I I speak with my my girlfriends all the time that are in different industries or not in financial services, and and we talk about regularly. And this is not a hit on men. This is just what we've experienced and what the studies have shown that men will. Present themselves as knowing a subject well if they know sixty percent of that subject, whereas a woman needs to know it ninety five percent before she'll present herself as knowing it. Right. And so your notion of leaping before you have it all figured out—I mean, that's part of that too. Because we all have the capability to learn something, right? If we don't know it, we can say don't know, but I'll be back in touch. So that's that's great advice. I well, think. and
0: I really think that's what makes us great wealth advisors: is women. Is that we do have that desire to get our arms around the full picture. And I often see wealth advising as I'm sort of the, the financial therapist, so to speak, holding space for all those experts in the field of insurance, tax, investments. And we coordinate those efforts so that there's a very like structured, guided path that we can help the client see for themselves that they've given us. So, so our the, the blessing in being a woman is there. Because right. we desire that 95% understanding before we say. So I trust so much that. And I, and I've learned that like it's safe to ask questions. And then when you jump before 95%, there are, there's a community here to help. And right. a client doesn't expect you to be boom, boom, boom about everything. They expect you to be authentic and to be grounded. Like I think a mother who, who has a child who's having, throwing a tantrum, you're not supposed to throw a tantrum with the child, but get so scared of throwing a tantrum that you don't know what to do you you be present with the child and you speak to them, but you be in your power and you let them know it's safe to fall apart and that you're going to be there to pick them up. And I think that's in a lot of ways the role of the wealth advisors to witness whatever the trauma drama is that they're worried about and then offer grounded feedback.
2: Well, left. do you have any regrets or anything you would want to change about this journey you've been on for 20 20- 20 years and a half, 20 and a
0: half years. <laughs> I mean, the only thing I mean it's I feel it's very cliche because I my, I was listening to Michael's podcast a bunch in preparation for this. And especially David Baum, who was just as mm-hmm. well Oh, he was dad. great. Yeah. I met I met David Baum. He's just amazing. But the the idea of change and how we resist it yeah. and how we all know that it's good for us. I guess it's what I said in I said my advice to people changing careers is it's safe to do before you're ready. And I think in a way, my regret is that I didn't know. I regret I didn't know how powerful I was when I was younger. And I regret that I let my teenager get in the way of my sort of being more empowered and doing a better job at representing what I wanted for the people in my family, my life, and for the community, which is, hey, I got this. I'd love to play this role so that through storytelling we learn, right? We always have before teenage existed. Right. That's that's what I regret is made me a sooner. But the truth is. It's um, part of
2: our journeys, all of us.
0: Right. Gosh, if we could all go back and be teenagers with what we know now. <laughs> right. Imagine. So, then I think, well, maybe I don't have any regrets. This is just part of my journey. And there's a yeah. reason I'm here. And even big, thank you for giving me the platform to tell this story, because I do believe, and I think I said it already, we heal by example. And there's a reason I'm here in this field, in this age now. And I, I know that I have something to give and contribute, not only to our clients, side hopefully to the broader part, even as we talked about her well, like the desire to help women have financial literacy. Right. I really right. want that for future generations. Right. Well, we all do. We're all committed
2: to that mission. And for those of us that work with women, I work with men and women, but you know, it is, it is, there are different needs and they need to be met and they need to be met in a respectful way. They need to be met with understanding and without Minimizing, I mean, just respects, just a big word, and so, so, yeah. I, th- I feel that her wealth is a, is a wonderful initiative to to help all of us, not only communicate with our female clients, but also just to be a resource in our communities for whoever is in need of financial literacy.
0: Well, can I love the way you said that? And can I just say one more thing? I think that this thing we're talking about, financial literacy, learning this language of finance, sometimes I feel. I was intimidated by it, which is part of why I pursued this, right? I wanted to know what my wealth advisor was doing. And that whole phrase, oh, there's no dumb questions. There are no dumb questions. And the willingness to ask the question has always meant that 10 people in the room have it. And it it was true in Hollywood as well. Like somebody references a big director or a big movie. I actually don't know that. What's that, film? And by the way, sometimes they don't know, or they know this niche role that you're meant to know and you didn't. But the willingness to be visible with... I know what Bernie Brown calls our vulnerability, whatever it is, like admitting, I don't know. And, and that's okay to not know because that's the only way you learn anyhow. Right. And I'm right. shocked by the fact that in my, in my experience, so many of the of women I know run the finances in their household like clockwork. They are in charge of that piece of their lives, right? But they, they then don't translate that into the ability to communicate or the desire to communicate with the wealth advisor right. or with their portfolio it's manager. so
2: true. And that's been my experience as well. And And not to categorize women, but in my case, a lot of these women are highly accomplished and successful. And they still are reluctant to be part of the investment conversation. And so it's just so incumbent on us as their advisors to be educating them and doing it in a way where they feel comfortable because I literally, I, I could say without doubt that once a week, one of my female clients is saying, I'm sorry for this stupid question, or this is a dumb question. I mean, it's just happens all the time. And so, oh my gosh, just yeah. it's incumbent on us to educate them. And um, do it in a way that's non-threatening to them. And so I feel very passionate about that. As, and it sounds like you do as well. And so,
0: yeah. No, I really do. And I have to say my boss, Cheryl Rothman, does a great job at that. She's always making sure that the, the, the woman, usually the wife, but not always, is invited to the meeting and re be reminded because she'd yeah. really like that to be true. And no one's trying to say that, like, there's always in, in relationships a division of power. So if the power is the one meaning, like, or just responsibility, chores. And it's a chore, the one person has to meet with a wellness advisor. Far be it from us to say the other person has to meet right. in their busy, successful life. Right. But right. there's, there's, there's just, I think because of the unique place society has historically put like everybody, it's always a benefit to having multiple ears listening oh, to what's happening in your yeah. planning for your future.
2: Yeah, and absolutely. I have found
0: it. I was raised by a very strong woman, so I assume everybody else is as opinionated and strong. <laughs>
2: And they are, in their own way, in whatever their lane is. Correct.
0: Right. Yeah. Anyway, I could talk about this ad nauseum, but I think I <clears throat> I think I got across my point, which is there's a way to do this respectfully without making it our agenda, but sure. also just kind of it kind of goes to that thing of like representation matters. The fact that you and I are talking about this and how much we care, and about how I'm case in point somebody who picked up at four years old, decided mm-hmm. to change their career, decided mm-hmm. she wanted financial literacy.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and did it, and I'm doing it. Right. And I want to make sure that feels possible. First to my siblings, that's who I bought at first, but to other women as well. Right, right. And Nicole, that is what makes you extraordinary.
2: You are on this podcast, because that is a really great message, right? Mm -hmm. That at 40, you're deciding to become financially
0: literate. And then that led to a, a change in your path. Totally. And I have one more thing to say about that, which yeah. is I decided to invest in me. I want to sound like it's all great and it's for my family and everything. It is, but it was a selfish thing too. I needed this and I wanted an investment in myself. And I knew that this foundational knowledge was going to help me no matter where my career went. And I realized that in past, my energy had helped out towards investing in others. So hoping if I give more, they'll give back to me. And the truth is, as I invest in me, attracting, if you believe in that sort of thing, people who also want to invest in me, not the right. least of which is this company who, if you started in this job and did what I did the first week as an actress, you'd be fired because you have to be excellent <laughs> on day one. You have to be perfect, perfect, perfect. There's a hundred <laughs> girls behind you who, who could do that in a heartbeat. And I was sat down by my colleagues and told, no, we're making an investment in you. Of course, people are going to turn around an investment someday. It's not all like the right. business, but- you have time right. to slow down and to learn this language right. and this, this community, right. and I don't know that I've ever had that in professional setting. And it is, I mean, that's not true. When they cast you in a film, they're they're investing in you. But this felt long term, and it felt committed in a way that I needed, in a way that reflected my commitment to myself. Right. And I think that I really that was another important part of what I wanted to bring up today, which is yeah investing you
2: yeah yeah well thank you for that nicole that is a very important point and you're right when you invest in yourself others are willing to invest more in you i think that is such a good point
0: train people how to treat us you really do yes yes that's i would even go further we train people how to treat us by the way we treat ourselves and it's a constant every day conversation to allow yourself to be that confident, empowering, safe to be unsafe, safe to be imperfect with yourself and also with the people that you're intolerant, especially because they're your client and you want to, I want to be perfect for them. But we have to remember that that's never how true leadership works.
2: Well, great. So we'll use the word extraordinary again for Miss Nicole stein Thank you, Nicole, for being here today. We really appreciate it. And we're so excited to have this Story, to have heard your story and to be able to share it with others. I'll end today's show with the important themes that are reflected throughout Nicole's journey. The importance of being independent, developing inner confidence, and not giving away your power. From her 20-year career in Hollywood to her transition into the financial services industry, Nicole's passion for authentic communication and empathy will be invaluable as she supports clients' financial well-being. I think we can all agree this is what makes you extraordinary, Nicole.
0: I just want to say it takes extraordinary to know extraordinary. And I know extraordinary is the name of the podcast, but I really appreciate that. Thank you for having me. Nice to listen. Oh, you are
2: so welcome. And we're going to thank our sponsor today, Her Wealth by Colony. To learn more, visit thecolonygroup.com. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and on Twitter. Thank you for tuning into today's episode in honor of Women's History Month. And thank you to Michael Nathanson for sharing the mic again. I'm Christina Saunders, and I look forward to joining you all again soon.